Hello, listeners of Rabbi Bravender's Parsha Shir. This is Rabbi Jeff Sachs of Atid. Pardon the commercial message before we get to the Shir, but I wanted to thank you as we're now starting the third year of Rabbi Bravender's Parsha Shir. Whether you're one of the many, many people who attend the Shir every Thursday night in Yerushalayim, or whether you're one of the hundreds of people who listen to it online or by podcast, I know that, like me, you've benefited a lot from Rabbi Bravender's insights into the weekly Parsha, week in and week out, his analysis of countless Rashis and Rambans, the Nitziv, the Sfasemes, Rabbi Nachman, the Meshiloach, and others. I know that this creativity in drawing together the sources, getting to the root of each week's topic, to say nothing, of course, of his renowned humor, is a highlight of my own uh, preparations for Shabbat each and every week. If you've been enjoying and partaking in this fantastic Talmud Torah opportunity, we ask that you make a donation to support the continuation of the Shear. You can visit our website at atid.org and click on the support button in the upper right-hand corner for information on making your donation right there online by credit card or how to send in a check in your own local currency and various tax deduction options that are available in America, England, or Canada. Feel free, of course, to contact us in the office about sponsorship opportunities for this as well as any of Atid or Web Yeshiva's other projects. You can get us at by email atid, A-T-I-D, at atid.org. Of course, please do visit webyeshiva.org, Rabbi Bravender's fully interactive online yeshiva, to sign up for our free Summersman with over 60 hours a week of shiurim to choose from in Gemara, Chumash, Navi, Halacha, Jewish thought, Hebrew, even Kabbalah. Thanks for listening to the shiur every week. And now, on to Rabbi Bravender for this week's parasha. We're going to do the parasha of Eretz Yisrael which is Shlach. And the people of Chutzlach, they'll have a problem. So, you know, everybody, everybody knows that the parish of Shlach is a difficult parish. It's hard to understand how it was possible that the Jews, after receiving the Torah, would then reject and be punished and all the, you know, development of the story, that those same Jews would then decide to reject Eretz Yisrael. And even though the rejection was a little complicated, wasn't just straight away, still it remains an annual mystery. Uh, what happened? What was it that made the Jewish people, uh, under the leadership of Moshe Rabbeinu, decide that they wanted to stay in the desert, or alternatively, go back to Mitzrayim and not go to Eretz Yisrael. Today, it seems to us to be kind of unreasonable, even in our terms. I mean, today, I mean, uh, maybe living in Eretz Yisrael is not the best thing you could imagine, but certainly it sounds like it's better than going back to Mitzrayim. Who would want to live in Mitzrayim today? And it also sounds better to me than living in the desert. Nevertheless, that was the decision. 
the choice that B'nai Yisrael made. Now, I'm not going to answer that question, but I'm going to look into uh, what seems to be an even greater mystery in many ways. And that's the story of the Ma'apilim. We all know that after B'nai Yisrael received notification that they were going to be punished, and the punishment was, in fact, wiping out two generations, the generations that were responsible for this bad decision, and then somehow Jewish history would begin over again. Right, so you know that the book of Ayikra is the end. The end of the book of Ayikra is introduction to going to Eretz Yisrael. The parish of Shlach is the parish in which history stood still. Right, history stopped in the parish of Shlach. And the Jews were confined to wandering around the desert in circles. Whether the wandering was very oppressive or not so oppressive, it's something that Chazal thought about. I mean, how many times did they move? And what does oppression mean? But there is no doubt that for 38 years, B'nai Yisrael were not going anywhere. They were, they were not exactly standing still, but they weren't going in, in, to any particular place. So when, when the Anan, when the cloud said to the people, move, they moved. Even though they knew that they weren't going any place in particular. They were biding their time. They were biding their time until the generations that were responsible for, uh, the, uh, for the Maraglim, until those generations would disappear. And that's what happened. So, but there's like one other little knach to the story. And that is that after B'nai Yisrael received the information from Moshe Rabbeinu that they were going to be part of stopping history, that history would stop, they wouldn't be going any place, they decided, they decided on their own to revoke the decision that was made in heaven. Now this is quite a remarkable uh, uh, decision. And this is uh, uh, not easily comparable even to the Chet Ega, where you could say the Chet Ega, there was a mistake, they misunderstood, they weren't able to relate exactly to what was happening to them, they did the Ega. But here you're talking about B'nai Yisrael, the people standing up against a determination that was made in heaven. HaKadosh Baruch said, you're not going to go to Eretz Yisrael, you're going to stay here in the desert, and this information was relayed to B'nai Yisrael by, by Moshe Rabbeinu, and nevertheless they decided that that's not the way it's going to be, that history will continue, that history will continue, it's not going to stand still, and this is told in the Torah, this story is told in the Torah twice, right, once in our parasha, and the second time at the beginning of the Varim, when Moshe Rabbeinu repeats what happened, things in the history of the Jewish people that he feels should be told. So let's look at the Psukim in our parasha. Perk Yudalad, Vaidaber Moshe Tadvaiba Eilal Kol Bene Yisrael, Vaidablu Ha'am Ma'od. Vaidablu, that's a good, you know, that's, um, that's understandable. Right, they, they went into a state of mourning. Mourning, uh, uh, mourning, the definition of mourning is that you're not connected. You should close your phones when you go to shul. Morning, morning is about being disconnected. 
right? Uh, you lose a relative. A relative dies. So that relative was part of a interconnectedness that you had with the world. Like there are, like you don't connect to everybody in the street straight away, but there are layers. Right? The, the, the immediate family, and then the extended family, and friends, then the community of people who, are, who you live with, but you may not know them personally. So all that, that uh, uh, implies a connectedness. There's some, everything connects to everything else. But when somebody dies, the chain is broken someplace. Someplace in your life, there's a broken chain. There's a broken link in the chain. And that broken link in the chain places place everything in jeopardy. Because you're, you're, you're connected. You're connected through all these links and all these connections. Suddenly one is missing. So it's hard to know that. So, so you feel out of it. You're, you're alone. Bereavement is not about, is not about uh, um, uh, death, to my mind. But bereavement is about the person who's bereaved. It's about the result of death. We, we have nothing to say about death. We, we can't complain about it. You know, sometimes people die when they're very old. Sometimes people die when they're very young. Rachman al-Litzlat. And, and we don't have any way of intervening with the divine plan. We have no way of saying, oh, this really should not have happened. Or should have, you know. So what is it that we're unhappy about? Really, really we're unhappy about the fact that we're disoriented. That we had it all set up. Like it was all in place. And then suddenly a link is missing. And if a link is missing, everything is missing. I mean, you're just not... Now this, so it takes, so what happens? What happens during Shiva? Because a lot of people come over and they say, I'm with you. Like, I'm connected. And if you don't remember me, you don't remember me in particular, I'm going to tell you a story of how I saw so-and-so, how I saw the person who, 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 who died, how I saw you with the person who died. Like, it's all about reestablishing, reestablishing these links. And the person who sits Shiva very often tells stories about the, the, per, the, the person who died in order to connect again to the people. What is a story? A story is, is about real. Right? A story is about real as opposed to a, a theorem of geometry, right? Which is also about real, but in a different way. But a story is a reconnecting, a reconnecting kind of thing. It's something that everybody can understand and touch and hold on to. So vayit means that suddenly the people of Israel they were not being punished in the sense that you know they were wandering they're going to wander in the desert but they're going to eat lunch right they still have the man and they would be able the man would be whatever you want it to be it would be a, like a hamburger it's a hamburger so so that was not a problem well they're closed they'd have to send their clothes to dry cleaning you know it was all. Everything was spick and span all the time. Their shoes never wore out. Right? It was like, it was like, Adarabba. You know, you could say, it's a Hasidut, they say, you know, like, what was so bad? What was so bad about uh, life in the desert? They went, everybody was in the Kola, everybody. I don't know what the women did. Maybe they were also in the Kola. Right? But the men were all the Kola. Moshe Rabbeinu gave Shia. You missed Shia, she went to Yeshua Ben Nunza. He gave the Shia over again. You missed that year, you went to some Skanim. 
You know, there was always a Shia going on. It was always the best Shia in the world. It was always clarifying and edifying. And so yeah, the Jews wandering around the desert, you know, so from time to time they had to pack up. Right, Chazal said there were only 14 times in 38 years. They had to move from one place to another. So you say, what's the shlach? You know, what, what was it that was so terrible? What was so terrible was that they were disconnected from history. They weren't going anyplace. They were not imagining themselves as part of a, a larger plan. That's Avelus. That's what, that's what uh, uh, Avelus is. And that's why the halachas of Avelus, Avelus is mitigated over time, right? It's the worst on the first day, before people come to visit. But then as people come to visit, it gets better and better. Not better, I mean, somebody died, but I mean, you sort of feel reconnected to the world that you knew, that you knew before. So that's why Yit'avlu Ha'am so in other words they understood it differently I guess since they referred to God and they know that God said that they shouldn't do this but they say well it's like, it's like that old time dilemma you know it's like the as Medrash says it's the dilemma of Avram Avinu HaKadosh Baruch said to Avram Avinu, Shecht your son Yitzchak. Then HaKadosh Baruch said to Avram Avinu, Don't shecht your son Yitzchak. Now, philosophically or theologically, it's quite easy to argue that, that why, why would God change God's mind? I mean, what, what does that mean? I mean, God always says things that are correct, necessary, perfect, right? You put in any of the words that you like there. And so when God said to Avravidu, or the angel came to Avravidu and said, don't, so Avravidu had, had a dilemma. He said, what am I supposed to do? I have this sivuy, and I have that sivuy. I mean, of course, they contradict each other, but they must both be true in some way. So the people, the day Israel, they said the same thing. They said, God told us to go to Eretz Yisrael, and now God told us not to go to Eretz Yisrael, that we're going to wander around the desert as a punishment. So, so, but still, the original directive, the smell of the original directive, still there, it's still in the air. So maybe the answer to the question is that you have to recognize that you did something wrong and then do the right thing. That's what the Pesach says. Hashem, Hashem, ki That's the Chiddush that B'nai Yisrael had. They said, they said, okay, we did an Avera. We deserve to get punished. But if we do tshuva and go back to square one, maybe it'll be all right. That's what they decided. They decided that on their own. We don't know exactly how they understood. Like I said, the people are listening to Moshe Rabbeinu. Moshe Rabbeinu knows a lot of things. But here he's giving an opinion. He's not telling us what God said. Yeah, that he already told today you show what God said. Now he's telling them his opinion about the path that they have chosen, which is to do massive tshuva. Right? What could be more massive than the tshuva of endangering yourself and go to Eretz Yisrael, where the Kodesh Bok said you shouldn't go to Eretz Yisrael. But since, after all, it was only the second of two directives, maybe the first directive somehow still is in place. That's what the people thought. Moshe Rabbeinu said, look, my opinion is you're not going to make it. This demands too much. It means too much tshuva, too much 
sincerity, too much, and, and, and I see it's not that way. says, don't go up, and you're going to be, you won't be uh, defeated by your enemies, that's Moshe Rabbeinu speaking, here, you see, see Moshe Rabbeinu says it really. Amaleki Bikzani, right? The name Amaleki is scary. I do remember the Amaleki came to fight with Bnei Yisrael when they left Mitzrayim. So that the word Amalek, the nation Amalek, is a frightening. It's a frightening idea that there's Amalek. And they said the Kna'ani, okay, Kna'ani, up to now their, uh, their uh, relationship to the Kna'ani was uh, basically uh, non-existent. Uh, what does Shaftem mean? Tshuva. Right? What does Mecharei Hashem mean? Away from God. Tshuva is also, you can make a mistake. You can make a mistake about Tshuva. You can say, this is the path to Tshuva. And Moshe Rabbeinu said, no, it's not a path to Tshuva. And they said, what's Tshuva? We'll go and we'll go to Eretz Yisrael. We'll go to Eretz Yisrael. Moshe Rabbeinu said, no, no, that's not the, the path to Tshuva. That's the path to angering God. Now, how do you know which and which? Which is which? Of course, is a, is a problem. But B'nai Yisrael obviously thought, B'nai Yisrael obviously thought they were doing the right thing. They were doing what God wanted them to do really, really. Right? This is like the problem that the, the Jewish people have. This is a problem of longness. Like, like, what is it really? What does it mean? How do you do it? Right? Like it's always, we're always in that kind of a dilemma about big things. And also about what seem to us to be very small things. But that's where the Torah always pushes us. Define it better, understand it better. So here you have a, here you have a simple dilemma. B'nai Yisrael, B'nai Yisrael, Moshe Rabbeinu. Moshe Rabbeinu said, no, the way I understand it is that the punishment is like the Gemara says at the end of Yuma, that there are different stages of of, uh, of tshuva. For some Averis, tshuva alone is enough. But for some other Averis, it has to be yisurim. You have to go through a painful process in order to do enough tshuva to, to be atoned, right? Atonement. Atonement is a difficult thing. I mean, difficult to know when you've done enough tshuva to be atoned. It's true, in Yom Kippurim we say, that it's, it's a day that's mechaper. If you do tshuva at Yom Kippur, you get a break. But bechlal, the idea of tshuva, the idea that you'll know how much tshuva you should do at a particular time, that's not an obvious, that's not an obvious goal. So here Moshe Rabbeinu says, you're not doing tshuva, you're taking a stand against God. B'nai Yisrael said, no, we're doing what God really wants us to do. That's the way, that's the way I understand it. Pasuk Mandalad ve'yapilu la'alot. El Rosh Ha'ar, Barom Brit Hashem Moshe, Lo Mashu Mikayav Machanet. So you see this dissonance, right? They went to do battle, but we know from later on, right, the books of Yeshua and then Shoftim and Shmuel especially, the Aron Brit Hashem was always part of the legitimate battle. It's always part of, so suddenly there are two camps, like there's Orthodox and Super Orthodox. Now, we don't know which is which. I mean, I don't know which is which. But there's Dati and Haredi. Right? But the, the, the battle, the, the warriors, 
They're missing something. Right? They're missing something in this Frumkite battle. Forget about who's right about doing tshuva. Obviously, you know that Moshe Rabbeinu was right. But they also, when they go out to battle, they didn't get the Aron. Aron brit Hashem u'moshe. Lomashu mikerev Now We know that when the battle against Amalek took place the first time around, so one of the chief uh, actors was, of course, Moshe Rabbeinu. He was fighting. He was sitting on a rock. And his arms were being held up. And as long as his arms were being held up, then Israel won. So that meant that somehow we understand. I mean, it's not such a great, uh, uh, a great idea. It appears in the Mishnah and Rosh Hashanah that, that somehow uh, uh, there has to be a spiritual quality to a legitimate battle. Right? You know, and that, that's the only way to win. That winning against Amalek would be just, it would be actually irrelevant if it wasn't done for the right reasons. Right, you know, Amalek, there's a tzivui to destroy Amalek. Is it, uh, 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 now, you know that, that people go to war, they kill other people. And that's a bad thing. That's a bad thing. So if you could, if Israel went to kill Amalek, that would also be a, a bad thing. It's only a good thing if B'nai Israel is killing Amalek because God told them to kill Amalek. That's what changes it. Right? It, 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 there has to be some kind of recognition of a serious purpose of it. That's for some people in today, in Israel, that's, that itself is a question. Right? Do we have a purpose? Are we purposeful in what we do? Do we know uh, what the rationale is for certain kinds of action? Some people say yes. Some people say, some people say no. But that's the end of, the end of the story is, so they, they were blasted off the map. So it was clear. It was clear that Moshe Rabbeinu was right. Even though Moshe Rabbeinu did not seem, at least not in the story, to make a real attempt to stop them. Because Moshe Rabbeinu knew that this would cause a disaster. And yet he just told them this is going to be disastrous. So when you don't try to change the position that people have, it's usually because you recognize the fact that you would have no effect on them. Because they had that opening, the people. They knew about this, that B'day Yisrael, that God said this, and that God said that. And once you have that in place, it's very hard to determine that you know what God really wants you to do at a particular moment. Right? But even though even Moshe Rabbeinu, I mean, a part of the story about before that Moshe Rabbeinu was attacked, right, there's somebody said, it's like, you know, they said, okay, he knows the most Torah, and he knows the most halacha. But who says he, he knows uh, uh, what I should do with my kid who's not doing well in school? You know, who knows that? And we see that today. Today also, you know, people look for advice. So they don't always go to Moshe Rabbeinu. Is there somebody like the advice giver of the moment? Like there's a, it's, like a, it's, like, um, it's like a designer fashion. You know, like suddenly someone is full of advice. And it just comes pouring out. All you have to do is go over, press a button, and you get advice. Sadly, after you, I mean, that, that, your good feeling about getting the advice usually lasts about a day until you have to go back to reality, and you know that the advice is not you know, as potent as you'd hope this was. Let's look at the, let's look at the Sukim in Farid. Vatanu vatomu elai chatanu l'ashem 
אנחנו נעלה ונלחמה ככל אשר ציוונו השם אלוקינו ותחגרו איש את כלי מלחמתו זה זק הפוסק ותחגרו you clicked all the clicks at the place and all the absamim you know the, the, the young soldiers come back from wherever they are where they get dirty and sweaty and have all this stuff that they have to carry around with them because you know you, you can't rat, rent a locker on the way to war so you take everything with you and everything connects like everything's hooked up to everything else that's by Yachkaru they, they prepared themselves Vatachkaru ish eklei milchamto Vatahinu la'alot ha'ara They got ready to go up to the mountain Vayom ha'ashem elayim or lahem lo ta'alu Velo tichlachamu Ki eineni bikir b'chem Velo tinatfu l'fnei rebechem Vadabea lechem velo shmatem This is told from the point of view of Moshe Rabbeinu Moshe Rabbeinu is talking But it's essentially the same story Vatamru et pi ha'ashem Vatazidu vata'alu ha'ara you went against what God wanted. Obviously, if they went against what God wanted, they had a different idea. They thought they were doing what God wanted them to do. Because they knew that God had power. That they knew. It may have been, they may have thought that God does not exercise that power all the time. But they knew that God had the power. Pasuk I think essentially the same story is told by Moshe Rabbeinu in the parish of Tvarim as is told in the Torah in the parish of Shlach. So again we have a mystery. The way I tried to explain this mystery was by saying, by saying that they misinterpreted God's will. And when God said to them, don't go to Eretz Israel, they thought that he meant that God meant you don't deserve to go to Eretz Israel, but if you do something deserving, if you do tshuva, if you go and fight, if you do something, then you will be able to go to Eretz Israel. But that proved to be incorrect. What I'd like to do is look at a different way, a different commentary, and see a different way of looking at it. So let's look at the Svatimet. We turn over the, uh, the page, that's the Svatimet. The Svatimet says, Bamedrash, Lechachol Besimcha Lachmecha. There's the Medrash starts off with a Posuk. And that Posuk is, is a Posuk in Kohelet that says, Lech Echol Besimcha Lachmecha. Go and eat your bread, enjoy. So the Medrash wants to know what is it that this Posuk in Kohelet is talking about. Was it a historical moment? Or is it just good advice, of a, like good dietary advice? I mean, not clear. So if you turn the page back, and we'll look at the Medrash. Here's the Medrash. The Medrash is copied here from Bamid Rabba. You know that Bamid Rabba is like the Tankuma very often. The two Medrashim are kind of duplicate each other. And so it may be that the, the Bamid Rabba that we call Bamid Rabba is really a different Medrash. But that doesn't matter. We'll call it Bamid Rabba, right? Everything I said just now was just to show you that I know something about something. So you could ignore it. Right? For us it's Bamid Rabba. That's fine. Kach Patach Rabbi Tanchuma. You see? You see Rabbi Tanchuma? 
Now Rabbi Tanchuma is supposed to appear in the Tanchuma and not in Bamidbo Rabba. Okay, so he snuck in here. Or maybe Bamidbo Rabba and the Tanchuma are the same thing. That's what I said before. Okay, so if somebody asks you a course of puzzle question about which Medrash in the Medrash Rabba is like the Tanchuma, you'll answer Bamidbo Rabba. Not, not every crossword puzzle question that is answered changes the world significantly. Kach patach rabbi tanchuma bar abba b'shem rabbi chanina achiv shor rabbi acha burab chanina zolta parashashel nesachim. Now, chachamim were always looking for connections, and they they had this question that they that that for them was very reasonable. How come this parsha comes after that parsha? How come this parsha comes before that parsha? This is all like a very reasonable question. Seder. It's a parsha. Of, it's a question of seder of order. And the chachamim, generally speaking, I mean, I can't, I can't go quote each of the chachamim that we know about. But generally speaking, we have the impression that whatever chachamim could prove to us that seder is is there, they would try to do it. Even if the, the, the two components of the Seder are totally uh, 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 unlikely. So if you look in the Chomish, which you don't have, and you saw the parishes in Babidbar, the parish of the Mapilim, it's called, of those people who went up to Eretz Israel, even though Moshe Rabbeinu told them not to go, those are the Mapilim. And you say, well, what comes after that? What comes after that in the Chomish? So it comes after that in the Chomish, that's talking about Nesachim, Nesachim are libations. Right? I used to say that for many years, I didn't know what libations were. <laughs> because I'm, what the, libations, I think it's like Romans who took a bath, so somebody did a libation on their head, you know. But in the, in the Beit HaMikdash, in the Beit HaMikdash, there were Nisuchei Yayin and Nisuchei Mayin. That is part of the process of giving korbanot. So here in Bamidbar, in Perik, in the next Perik in Bamidbar, Perik Tetvav, start talking about Nisachim. So Rabbi Achabar Chanina said, "Zolta parashah shel nesachim shneemar ola ayel tasem mincha yayin la nesach hatziyahin hatziyazan emout mikan va'elach va'yav acholchem acholchem milechem ha'aretz reishit arisotechem chalat arimu tiruma." So that the, after the nesachim, the Torah starts talking about chalat. Right, you know, there's a mitzvah challah. There's a mitzvah challah, if you have a dough and it's a certain amount, so you have to take a little bit of challah and, and burn it. So he says, Hare challah lamata, unesachim lamata. I'm sorry. Hare challah lamata, unesachim lamala, which means that first nisachim, and then challah. And what does that mean to do with, with uh, shlach, with maraglin, with ma'apilim, with Moshe Rabbeinu? It would seem it doesn't. It's just another piece of Torah. The Torah finished one thing, and is now talking about another thing. So then the Gemara, then the Bedrash says, "Harei chalal matzchim lemala lefikach patach Rabbi Chanino lech echol b'simcha lachmecha u'shitei b'leiv tov yeinecha." That's the continuation of the pasuk in Kohelet, which says, "Eat b'simcha." Lachmecha, right? Lechem is connected to to Chalo. And Shitei Belev Tov Yeinecha Yeinecha is connected to Nisachim Mahu 
כי כבר רצה אלוקים את מעשיך, אכול בשמחה לחמך, זאת פרשת חלה. ושתי בלב טוב יהיה נכס זאת פרשת נסתכים. מהו, the rest of the post says, כי כבר רצה, right, כי כבר רצה, זו הכנסת ישראל לארץ. That's בני ישראל going into ארץ ישראל שנאמר, כי תבואו לארץ, that's the next פוסק, a continuation in the פרשת נסכים, דבר אחר, פסוק הזה מדבר כנגד אברהם פירי. So in, in other words, in other words, right after the story of the Mapilin, according to the Medrash, there is, the Torah comes and says, oh, you have to go to Eretz Yisrael, because Eretz Yisrael is the only place you can eat, really, and the only place you can drink, really. Because eating and drinking have to engender or, or, or create simcha, they have to create pleasure, and pleasure and simcha of that kind is only created in Eretz Yisrael, the Torah says, Kitavol Haaretz. So that, that immediately, I mean, you could say, you could say Pashtus. It was like an optimistic moment. The Torah said, okay, you're going to be punished, but don't worry, at the end of the punishment, you go to Eretz Yisrael, you'll have Nesachim, you'll have, you'll have Kalah, everything will be fine. Right? But that's what the Medrash says, what we just read. The Medrash doesn't say the idea, but the Medrash says, that's what it's talking about. Now, if we go back to the Svat Abet, you have to turn the page. So, Medrash Lechechol B'Simcha Lachmechol. המשך פרשת נסכים וחלה אחר המרגלים, עיין שם. עיין שם means what we did. We looked at the Medrash. And we saw that the Medrash is a comment on the, on the, on the Pesukim. כי הנה, בוודאי כיבוש הארץ היה דבר גדול מאוד. Here's the Svat Amet. He wants, he's going to get us out of this imbroglio that we're in. Like what was really going on? So he makes an assumption. And with this assumption, you'll decide whether he is a Zionist or he's not a Zionist. The Tzvah didn't go there to Israel. But the Imra Emes, he what? The Imra Emes came there to Israel. Not only did the Imra Emes come there to Israel, but he encouraged all of the Hasidim to buy land in Eretz Israel, including himself, which is how the Ger Rebbe became one of the richest people in, in the country. Right, the Ger, the, the, the Ger Rebbe inherited all this money that they got from buying all this land in Israel when, when you know, only a, a fool would buy land in, in Israel. So all the fools who bought land in Israel became rich, and all the people who were not fools became poor. <coughs> so it says, Hayad avagadol ma'od shenitchaptu alav avot harishonim. He says, he says, the conquest of Eretz Yisrael, Kibush Haaretz, is a very difficult thing. And we know that Avot HaRishonim, Avraham, Yitzchak, and Yaakov, their lives were intertwined with this question of living in Eretz Yisrael, of keeping Eretz Yisrael. Right? Avraham with the famine, and then Yitzchak with the famine, and Yaakov had the little good lives. We don't have to get into it. But you know that Avram is Yaakov, you can write the story of their lives from the point of view of Eretz Yisrael. Right? Were they there or weren't they there? Were they able to stay or weren't they able to stay? Even Yitzchak, who never left Eretz Yisrael, wanted to leave Eretz Yisrael. So all the Akkadish Bokhu stopped him. So he says, Nitchab to Allah v'vot ha-rishonim. V'ashem yitbarach nishma lo rishama ha-aretz 
And God promised them that they would inherit the land. Which for the Spatemet means that without divine intervention, you can't inherit the land. Like you can't get it. You need divine intervention. tikun kol so here you have theology. It's a complete theology. Who lived in Eretz Canaan? Who lived in Eretz Canaan? The Canaanim. The Canaanim. What could have possibly been the reason that these Canaanim, Kimasa Eretz Canaan, the Torah says, the worst people, the Canaanites and the Egyptians, the worst of people. What was it that made it possible for the worst of people to inherit the land? We all remember that Rashi in the beginning of Bereshit says, okay, you know, people are going to say you stole the land, so here Bereshit's Baruchim, God decides, uh, like, you know, they were just, it, 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 the Rashi doesn't talk about it from that point of view. The Svat Emma says this, what were the Canaanim doing in Eretz Israel? What were they doing there? So you say, oh yeah, they moved in, there was nobody there. No. The Canaanim are the worst of people. We know that Eretz Israel does not support the worst of people. Because the, the Torah tells us, us, that if we don't live up to our demands, our responsibilities, then the land will vomit us out. That's what the, that's what the Torah says in Akhrei Moses and in twice. It says that. So what are the Canaanim doing there? What, what was the... Like, how could you theologically accept the fact that the Canaanim, who are a lot worse than the, than the Palestinians from the theological point of view, uh, how, what were they doing in Eretz Israel? So the answer, the answer of the Sfas Emes is this. It was what happened was that after the hate of Adam Harishan, you remember the hate of Adam Harishan? When God said, don't, and Adam Harishan and Chava went and said, yes, we're going to do it anyway, because we're going to say a svara, the danger of svaras, right? They're going to, they said they were, they were going to do it anyway, they were going to eat from the eight Hadas, and they did eat from the eight Hadas. So at that moment, what happened was that there was no longer in the world someone who could live in Eretz Canaan, Eretz Israel? You, you understand? In, in, in other words, Eretz Israel was reserved for Bnei Israel. But all of a sudden, there was no Bnei Israel. There wasn't anybody like that. Other, other shown, he could have lived there, but he, then he gave up that, that title, that mantle. He was not that person. And his children and his grandchildren, etc., were not that person. So now there was nothing. Since there was no one to take Eretz Canaan, there was really no Eretz Canaan. It was like a function. It wasn't, it wasn't that the Eretz Canaan is going to throw B'nai Israel out of, out of Canaan if they sin. It's rather that since they could also not sin, they, get, they will get thrown out. But once the world is a world in which there's no B'nai Israel, there's no one who is worthy, so anybody can live in Eretz Canaan. Anybody could go there. So the Canaan, they went there, went there, and history waited for the advent of B'nai Israel who were worthy 
of going to Eretz Yisrael. And when was that supposed to happen? According to the, to the theology of Chazal, it was supposed to happen at Har Sinai. But at Har Sinai, so the Gemara says that the zuamo, that the poison that B'nai Yisrael kind of, or that the people of the world inherited from the snake with Adam and Chava was clarified at Har Sinai. And somehow history starts over again. History starts over again. Adam Arishon denied history. And there was no one to go to Eretz Yisrael. No one to go to Eretz Yisrael. So the Canaanim went to Eretz Yisrael. Why not? What's the difference who goes? Because it's not Eretz Yisrael. I mean, there's no promise that the land will evict Canaanites. Right? Quite the contrary. The holy of the land only evicts B'nai Yisrael. That's who gets evicted. So the, so the Sras Emes, now we read the Sras Emes more carefully, you will see. He says, Now we have not only the Chet of Odom Arishon, but we have now the Chet HaEgel, Right? And then we have the chait of the Miraglim. He says, Vadai tikun kol levarer. Varer is a word that the Hasidim loved. Right? There's a clarification that could be made. What is the clarification? I told me'arat. Right? That's what, what other Marishans didn't do. Other Marishans said, the Ra will take over. That's why he ate from the Eitz Adas. He figured out a way to enable the Ra to take over. But Lazarer, I told the Ra, that's the righteous people, are able to tell that this is Tobit Ra. Those are the people who are going to deserve to go to Eretz Yisrael. Because the only way, the only way that Eretz Yisrael can become Nachlat Hashem, the inheritance of God, is if there's somebody who can move into Eretz Yisrael. So at this moment, at this moment, you say, at the time of the Miraglim, what did HaKadosh Baruch say? You can't go and talk to Eretz Yisrael. I mean, it's a waste of time. Because there's no one, this people, this group called B'nai Yisrael are unable to take Eretz Yisrael from the Knanim and to give it back to God and make it in Nachwas Hashem. Who no B'koach Enosh. He says, you have to understand, this is not a matter of physical prowess. It's not a question of who's strong that the Jews could go in, you know, and, and take over the land. Rakimosha Kantu, this is a posik in Hashem Darcheish. It's only God's will that makes it successful for us to go to Eretz Israel. Oivav Yeshli. It says that the and the, the enemies will either make peace or they will, uh, they will uh, uh, accept that, that, the, that B'nai Israel is there. L'chein pana k'na'an upina et ha'aretz k'asher So there we see that God cleared up the place. Right? When B'nai Israel went into Eretz Israel under the leadership of Yeshua Ben-Nur, HaKadosh Baruch took them all away. And so he comes to the following remarkable conclusion. And he says, what was going on with the Miraglim? Meaning, how could they say that even though HaKadosh Baruch said, don't go to Eretz Israel, they said, we are going to go anyway. How could this be? 
I mean, how can you say pshat in that sense, so to speak? We call Ta'utam Raglim. So the Shvat the, the says the mistake that the Miraglim made was that the, the Miraglim didn't see it as a two-step process. The Shvat Emet said the way the conquest of Eretz Israel has to work is that first you are worthy and then God makes it happen. But they said we are strong and therefore, we ourselves can make it happen. You remember when the Miraglin came back to, Eretz, uh, to, to the camp, what did they say? They said, they're strong. The cities are strong. The fighters are strong. Right? That, what, what the Miraglin, the Miraglin themselves, didn't understand, according to the Tzvatemet, what the issue was. The issue was not whether we were strong enough to conquer the land. The issue was whether we were good enough Good people, good people enough to conquer the land because the conquest would be done by, by Kodesh Bokul. So that the Miraglim, the Miraglim, this is also the Hasidus say, they, the, the, the various, various forums say that the Miraglim misunderstood the issue. And they came back and they said, big people, big cities, high walls, good armies, this is all irrelevant. This is all irrelevant. What they should have said was beautiful, sweet, dvash, uh, 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 honey. That's what they should have said because that was the only relevant thing uh, uh, to, make a, to make the people yearn for Eretz Yisrael. That was the ingredient. That was the military ingredient that had to be put on the table. So the Miraglin fooled them. The miraculous fuller, but they were willing to accept it. The miraculous said, obviously, the conquest of Eretz Yisrael depends on you. And B'nai Yisrael said, well, we're strong. And they said, but they're stronger. Because if you measure strength by the number of kilos that you clean press, then the Canaanites win. Because they can do more of it than you can. And that was the mistake of the miraculous. And that was the mistake that B'nai Yisrael bought into. And according to the Shasemites, they lost sight of this fact. They thought that HaKadosh Baruch was sending them to conquer the land. Like, uh, like the Turks will go to, uh, to, to conquer Armenia or something. No, no, it's not like that. To conquer the land, you have to be, have to just come from Matan Torah. To conquer the land, you have to carry with you the weight of the Torah. Not the weight of the arms. And so, he goes on and says, uh, look at this like good insight remember look at the first page Dvarim you see Dvarim the first pasuk Vata'anu Vata'umru Elai Chatano Lashem Anachnu Nalev Nilchama Koshu Tzivanu Hashem elokeinu. Remember, we talked about it for a minute, about the boys who come back with all these buckles. So they also had buckles. Now, the question, of course, is, why should the Torah tell us that? that that's what soldiers do. Right? Soldiers put on shoes. That's it. Put on shoes. The soldiers, you know, uh, carry a canteen of water. That tells the carry yeah, They're soldiers. They look like soldiers. They act like soldiers. They did whatever soldiers do. What does the Torah have to say? So you look at the Shvatem as 
The Svatsevich says on that, pay, on that line that we left out, that we left off at, there you have it. That when the Torah, when Moshe Rabbeinu looked at them, what did Moshe Rabbeinu see? A fighting force. Devoid of the spiritual moment. The question was, could they win? The question that they had, could they win against the Canaanites? The Moroccan came and said, well, we don't think so. Canaanites, and then they were punished, and then they said, okay, we'll go anyway. We'll go. We'll, we'll win somehow. We'll beat them. We'll beat them. That's what, that's what they said. Clay milchamto. And therefore, they were not successful because they misunderstood where they were in Jewish history. The Medrash thing goes on and says that the word Vayapilu, which means to, to go up the mountain, you know, they went up against God's demand, has in it Ayim A Lamed. So we know there's a word in Hebrew, Arafel, dark. Uh, so it's like that word. I mean, forget about the, about the. Let's forget about the technicality. But that's what that's what it says. It says shevil Everything became dark. What do you mean dark? Israel because they were about ready to go into Eretz Israel. To go into Eretz Israel means it's a gilui. According to, that's the language of the Svatene. It's not like you're getting land, or you're conquering territory, or you're someplace, you know, you're out in the middle of nowhere, and now you're going to build a shopping center. It's not that. It's that in Eretz Yisrael, there can be a spiritual achievement which cannot happen anyplace else in the world. And that is what the word means. <laughs> That Eretz Yisrael would become Nachlat Hashem, the inheritance of God. What makes it the inheritance of God? That the people who live there make it into Nachlat Hashem. Because after all, the entire world belongs to God in a, in, a, in, a, in a way, right? God created the world. You have to say Nachlat Hashem. So Nachlat Hashem is something that's produced by the dwellers. The people who live in Eretz Israel, the people who live in Eretz Israel, if they are following the Torah, they make the place into a place where God allows a certain kind of light to be exhibited to all of us. means that I will show you the way to the land but go to the land which will become a place where you see things. I will make you into a visionary. Right? I'll make you a seer, S-E-E-R. You will see things that you would not be able to see any, any other place. So we have it, I think. We have it. And if I have to summarize, I have to summarize the two approaches to the to the Mapilin uh, that I mentioned tonight, they are the following. First I said that, what is it that enabled the Mapilin? What does it enable the Mapilin to act against 
uh, a clear uh, directive from HaKadosh Baruch Hu, and my feeling is that it's because there were two contradictory demands on B'nai Israel. On the one hand, the demand was that they should go to Eretz Israel, and the other hand was they should not go to Eretz Israel for 38 years. And so B'nai Israel decided, as they decided, that there was an option to take things into your own hand and then, and then go on. You, in order to connect that idea to the Sat MS, you might say, well, that sounds fine. But why did it fail? So if they, if they, if they said, look, even though God is punishing us, but well, we know what God really wants, and we're going to act in that, in that regard, then they should have gotten some credit for that, but in the story in the Torah, zero. I mean, there's nothing that good that comes out of the fact that they went to fight to get into Eretz Canaan. Nothing. There's no, no memory of it. You don't get credits for it. And you, don't, you don't get the points in the Yisra card. I mean, nothing. So, Svazema says, Svazema says they were living with a misconception. And even though he doesn't say this, but you know, other, other I, I, I saw it, Rav Nelson says it, that the, the Miraglim didn't understand what the question was. When they went to look at Eretz Yisrael, they didn't understand what they were supposed to see. What they really should have seen was the great potential that Eretz Yisrael had for developing the religious personality. Instead, what they saw was the military issues. Who's stronger? Who's going to win? What the difficulties are? And so B'nai Yisrael were convinced on that basis that they were unable to make the conquest actually happen. But in fact, the Miraglim should have understood that the conquest per se is an irrelevancy because that's something that God will ensure if the people are deserving of Eret, deserving of Eretz Yisrael. That means that they are the people who have the capacity to turn Eretz Yisrael into Nachlas Hashem. What turns Eretz Yisrael into Nachlas Hashem is the people who come to Eretz Yisrael bearing the Torah of many, bearing the Torah of many uh, generations. If they come to Eretz Yisrael, so Eretz Yisrael becomes, becomes Nachlas Hashem. So they lost sight. The Bnei Yisrael at that time coming from the Chet Egel, lost sight of their own uh, opportunity, the opportunity that they had, of what Matan Torah meant. Matan Torah was not just the time that the Torah was given to B'nai Yisrael, but the Gemara says, and we all understand, that Matan Torah was the moment at which the Chet of Odom and Chava became resolved. It, was, it disappeared. It wasn't part of their history anymore. They were purified, unlike the Chaita Egel, which the Torah says remains part of our history forever and ever. And every time we are punished, and every time something terrible happens to B'nai Yisrael, part of that terrible is connected to the Chaita Egel. So that the Chaita Egel undid what the Matan Torah did, and instead of understanding what going to Eretz Yisrael was, they mistook it entirely. They mistook it entirely for a question of strength versus weakness, or greater strength over lesser strength. And they went to Eretz Yisrael, they tried to go to Eretz Yisrael on that basis, and naturally, 
naturally that attempt failed. Have a good shot. So we have Mark.